Amen. Praise God. And we want to get into the Word tonight. We're asking Brother Goff to come. At this time, I want him to just open his heart and preach to me tonight. Praise God, Brother Goff. Come. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. So glad to be in the house of God today. Amen. I like what I feel in this house. Amen. I like feeling amongst God's wonderful people, which you are. Amen. I thank God for blessing us. Amen. Today, with a wonderful day to come and worship Him and magnify Him. I can think of no other thing I would rather do, nothing I would rather be a part of, nothing I would rather devote my time, my efforts, my energy, the heartbeats that God has granted me today, but to serve it in the house of God the breath that he has blessed me with, but to be able to lift my voice and magnify him in the house of God. Amen. I thank Bishop Riggin for this opportunity to come to this sacred desk, and I do not treat it lightly, hearing the word that he delivers, that God lays on his heart, and then given the opportunity to follow our fine pastor, Bible teacher, servant of the word extraordinaire, and I appreciate this opportunity to be able to come and deliver what God has laid on my heart. Amen, amen. Is anyone ready to hear the word of God today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I'm a little reluctant, just feeling things out. I want to obey what God has for us tonight. Amen. Can we lift our hands? Can we talk to him before we get into the message tonight? Can we talk to him? Asking God to have his way in this service as it continues. God, do your work, Master, as you see fit. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, church family. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. If you could turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, I have a message that God has laid on my heart with the tremendous burden. Amen. And I want to deliver it as he sees fit. Genesis chapter 24, we reading verses 1 through 7. Amen. In your Bible reading plan, you'll be right here in the sweet spot on Friday. So this is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture for, I hope, everybody. Amen. And then we're going to talk a little bit more in our next text, another part of Scripture that should be very familiar. But let's read in Genesis chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruleth over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go into my country, and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring the son, thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that bring thou bring, bring beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Turning also to Revelation chapter 21, be reading three verses of Scripture. Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 2, amen. 
In verse 2 it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Amen, amen, amen. If you could lay your Bibles down, and we want God to reach down and to anoint our hearts with revelation, with hunger and thirst for His Word. And I ask for your prayers that God would reach down and touch His Word in my lips, in my heart tonight. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come down and meet with us, God. You have prepared the table before us. God, to sup among and fellowship with your word tonight. God, I ask you anoint these lips of clay, Master, to deliver the word as you have given. Let the burden be lifted from my heart tonight, God. I surrender to you, Master. Touch our hearts, God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, your help is in this house, and I thank you for it, Master. Glory, 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 glory. I thank you, Holy Savior. Wonderful God of heaven, I thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. The title of the message that I believe God has laid on my heart tonight is the church is going to heaven. This church is going to heaven. You don't sound too convinced. I'm going to heaven. This old boy is going to go to heaven. The message that was preached the night I received the Holy Ghost was he could save others, but he could not save himself. And I promise you, it has become a goal of my own as a minister of this gospel, not just to get you there, but to make sure myself is ready and prepared to go to meet my reward. As we prepare for trips, and I'm sure each of us do it differently, we all have different personalities and different styles. But I, you know, sometimes I'm reluctant to share some of myself because it opens uh, me up for myself up for fodder, for probing and criticism, but so be it. A man enough to say it, a man enough to take it. But I am a planner. I am one that you may hear a preacher get up and say, well, you can't live for vacations and you can't live for those things. And, and I am one that because of my schedule, I schedule vacations out six months to a year, sometimes further out, and I make plans. Because of those plans, I have some level of anticipation, Bishop, but I don't live for those moments. I understand that I have to live day after day to get to that point. I have to keep paying the bills so I can afford to go on that time of vacation. But I start to plan that trip. I start to find out where I can go. I study the weather patterns. Who's, where can we go that the weather is going to be just perfect and have a historical uh, weather temperature where we're not having to run the air conditioner. We can be in the middle of the woods and not have to worry about um, intense humidity and the heat or the extreme cold and just have a perfect time as a family. And I plan those and I understand, I mentioned this before, but I find out when the new moon is. And if I'm going to go admire God's creation, I'm going to admire God's creation. I want to be able to get out three in the morning and walk up and see the stars and wonder at the expanse of space, of how great God really is. I plan for those moments. And there's times that when I may take a trip and go for work and travel to another uh, city and fly halfway across the country or on the other side of the country, and I tell you, I'm the complete opposite. I tell Sister Golf, like, hey, I'm flying out on Monday at this time, and guess what I have that meets me? A rollerboard full of clothes. And she has planned everything. She may say, well, I need you to pick out a few things. And next thing you know, I have a suitcase that's packed. 
and it's there to greet me, and I know that it has everything. There's a system. There's a, a bag that has this and a Ziploc that has this, and everything is there. When I get to the airport, I pull this bag out, and I go through security, and there is a process. But I basically just made plans for a date and time to depart and come back, and somebody has accommodated the finer details of my trip. We cannot afford to do the same for our soul. We sang the psalm, get ready. And the message that I have tonight is one of telling you and reminding you we are going on a trip. We are going somewhere. There is a destination. And just as I research the climate, I promise you I'm doing the same for my very own soul. I don't want to go where it's hot. I don't want to go where it's pain and anguish and discomfort and torture for the rest of all of eternity which has no end. But I want to be a part of the church that's going to heaven. I want to be a part of that body. I'm willing to sacrifice and have the forethought and plan my life and look and hold myself accountable and say, this is going to happen on this day and this is how I'm going to conduct myself and these are the words I'm going to say and this is what I want to see when I get there. I want to see loved ones that have gone on before. I want to see the promises that I may not have ever seen fulfilled. Bible studies taught that I may not have seen them filled with the Holy Ghost. But when I walk those streets of gold, I want to see those folks that have went on and lived their life and moved around the world. But I want to see them in heaven. There's a climate that I want to be in anticipation for. We are all to prepare ourselves for this journey to that place called heaven, the new Jerusalem, the place that God has prepared for each and every one of us. But this message is just as it is when you get on a transit system. They will announce where you are at and they will announce your destination. And if you so choose to get off, they will give you the opportunity and they will tell where you're at in this bus, this vehicle, this plane, this train is leaving here and we're going there. And it gives the person that's in the wrong place the opportunity to step out with their bag and reacquaint themselves with what's going on and go the right direction. This message tonight is not to ask you to get off this train. It is to assure your ticket is in order and it's punched. And when the conductor of life comes to meet you and says, ticket please, you are able to reach up and pull it and say, I was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost on this date. I was faithful to the house of God. I lived according to his word. I was a faithful saint. Here you go. I'm ready to meet my maker. That is what this service is tonight. And if you're not ready, our God in heaven is calling you tonight to make your calling and election sure because we're going somewhere. We're not going to stay down here below and get comfortable, but we're going to where God has called us to be, where peace and love and joy is there forevermore. You can have this whole world, but give me Jesus. If I have to sacrifice the things of this world, so be it. I know there's something far greater than a car, a house, a bank account, a retirement, a job, a title, a possession, clothes, no matter what it is, the comforts of this life, so be it. I'll sacrifice it all because I know the Word of God says it will be corrupt. It'll rust. It will corrode. But the things that God's calling us to tonight is for us to make sure our heart, the one thing, the soul of the man, the, the one thing that is allowing you to think about the Word of God that's coming across this pulpit tonight, whether you accept it or reject it, you will have to answer that question in eternity. God has called this church to be ready. God has called each and every one of us to be ready. We are going to heaven. As we get into a portion of our text, there is a difference between being sold into slavery like Joseph and surrendering to the promise like Rebekah. Joseph was sold into slavery 
by his brothers that despised him. They tore his garments. They dipped them in animal's blood to sell the authenticity of the lie, to convince their father Joseph was no more. You have to be careful on who you hang around with that are willing to take the untruth further than the letter it represents. And the moment something that is a lie is twisted to represent truth, it is perverted and nothing good will come from it. And that goes for these holy, sacred scriptures. If someone will preach the word to make you feel okay and will not preach the word to convict the heart to find the places, the corners, the avenues that need to be swept and cleaned and washed, if they'll just make you feel good, they perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they will accommodate your preferences, they perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they will make you just feel good when you walk out on a Sunday morning and they say all you have to do is check in from time to time at the house of God to be saved. No, this is a daily, this is a daily effort to be saved in this kingdom. It is a daily effort for us to be consecrated before Him, to read His Word, not to have our ears tickled just from time to time. The pleasures of sin are for but a season. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 and 25, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I heard a song just yesterday from Brother Wayne Lawhorn. He just released an album this week. In one of the lyrics, it makes the comment that the pleasures of sin never move in permanently. The Bible says it's for a season. And as they fade, so with them goes the feeling you sacrifice to achieve gratification through worldly desires. And you will find you are left holding absolutely nothing. I was listening to a man just yesterday began to share his heart going through a divorce at the age of 53 years old. He has also has a disease, cancer in his body, and his life is turned upside down. And he says, I just moved to another city. And he says, I'm sitting here reflecting upon my life, and I have a handful of boxes in the trunk of my car, and that's all I have for 53 years to account for that life. He's not alone. Everybody around us is the very same way. As the tides of life draw the water back, all that remains is the scars of sin that cover the landscape of your heart. Sin will always leave a mark. You can try to cover it up. You can try to hold it. You can try to coddle it. But until you have the blood of Jesus Christ, cascading and washing over you, cleansing you from all the things that you've done in this life. There is no refuge from this world except the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 and 7, but, we walk, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses up us from all sin. That is the only refuge that we can run to is the blood of Jesus Christ. From our text, as we pivot to the story of Isaac and Rebekah, and Abraham and his servant, the family of Rebekah, we find that the servant of Abraham was sent on a mission to find a wife for Isaac. And he was given specific instructions. And we'll go through some of those here in just a moment. But as we continue a few verses later from the text, we find that the servant, after he had accepted the mission that Abraham had given unto him, he went 
and provided ten camels and all sorts of choice gifts. We read that in Genesis 24 and verse 10. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. You could all say after me, all the goods of his master. All the goods of his master, buddy. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment. In verse 11, the servant came to the city and he led the camels to a well. And he went there to try to find that which he was seeking. In verse 11, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And it's probably stating the obvious, but if you've ever been single, which I think most of us have, the only people that have not are those with multiple personalities. Enjoy your relationship. But those that are single... I just want to admonish you. It's best for us if you're looking at the wells of the church for a spouse. That's the place to find someone to spend the rest of your life with. It is not that everyone is evil, but living for God in truth must be their number one priority. Because you will go through tough times. And there may be times when you don't know up from down. And your relationship will be tested. And you had better find yourselves together in the house of God, getting equal strength in truth. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together. When I read that in the context of the statement I just said, have you ever tried to carry something that the other person was not strong enough to lift? It's not that, oh, they have a different shade of color. No, we're talking about being able to carry the load. You have to be able to trust the person next to you. They have to be getting strength from God himself. You can be tapped in all you want, and you can try to encourage them all you want, but you're not going to be able to carry that load together. Because you can cast all your cares on him. They can't. You have an advocate with the Father. They don't. You need to be equally yoked together to be able to stand up and say, listen, God is going to take us through. And you know what? You need to hear them say the very same thing to you when you're down. God is going to take us through. Remember when this happened and God stepped in just in time. That's what you need to hear back in your ears to encourage yourself in your relationship. Now, as the story of Isaac and Rebekah goes, she gave water to a servant, and she watered ten camels. I don't want to get into sidetracked how burdensome that task would be. I'm sure it was significant. But I have two near teenagers and two other teenagers, and I'm sure it equates to just trying to put some food on the table because I feel like I have 10 camels that roam through my house every day. And I know them by name. They will clean out. We can go from Sam's to bring it in and sit on the floor. And it's just like you just let them walk into piles of gems and jewelry. And they're like, oh, Kaiser's going, there's peanut butter. Somebody else is saying, here's this. And you have to pace them and pull them back. But she willingly, not knowing the future, willingly says, let me water the camels also. Took a task upon her that put the guest first. And as it unfolds, it's a beautiful story. And after she had given the animals, the camels, the water, and given water unto the servant, he gave her some gifts of gold. And Abraham's servant is invited back to the house of Abraham's kinfolks. And as they're seated for a feast, the servant makes a statement and sets the priority for the meal. He says, we have to do something first. It's not about just me being a guest. 
we have to talk about something. I am the servant of Abraham, and I have something that I must share. And he retells the story of how Abraham sent him from afar and sent him over to the land of his kinsfolks. And the things that that servant said, even when I thought them within my own mind, I opened my eyes and it happened. And she was there. And it unfolded exactly how it was supposed to happen. The servant began to tell that. He shares the prayer that he prayed as he was talking about this young lady. You see, he had a promise from God that was given to him that an angel would be before him and guide the way. When God gives you direction, men can do whatever they think. And they may not understand the situation around you. But when you have divine direction from God, you can walk into any situation and have peace knowing God's got everything under control. Even though they do not understand the very next step, God knows and has everything under control. He prepared a time and place that that man could walk up with his camels and stand there and watch. And as the right person walked up with the right attitude, with the right spirit of a servant, walked up and it was perfect. God made his direction clear for him. Rebecca and the family, no doubt, were riding an emotional roller coaster as being a father with children and understanding this situation. A stranger walks into their camp and begins to tell them about God said about your daughter, your sister. Can you imagine? what was going through their minds. Now, I understand the customs were different. They were no doubt wondering what the outcome would be. You see, there was no prearranged visit. There was no anticipation. The promise just walked in among them. This wasn't something they said, a servant came and said, this time next year, when he becomes of age, a young man's going to come and ask for your daughter. No, a servant walks in. And says, she's the one. But it was Rebecca's willingness to serve that led her to the promise from Abraham. And if you want to be a benefactor of the blessings from the house of bread, you have to be willing to serve. You can't just settle for the smells, Bishop. That's not going to sustain you. You have to be willing to serve. The servant came with a mission. And was focused on that mission. He knew what the task was. Even though there was a contingency plan referenced. That says if she doesn't come. You'll be released of your burden. Of your, of your, uh, your commitment to this purpose. And, and so he had a plan in case it didn't work out. But he was walking according to the plan. As it was designed by Abraham. Bring me back a bride for Isaac. The servant was not distracted from his purpose. He knew what he was called to do. And you have Laban and Bethuel, his mother. They gave the blessing unto the servant. And for Rebekah to leave and the servant does something that I find very beautiful. You remember those ten camels and all that the master had. He brought those in. And he says, all right, Rebekah, I brought all of this for you. It was not a dowry unto the family. But that was given in large part to Rebecca. They were handfuls of gifts. Now there was some that were given to the bride and to her servants for the most part, but there were things that were given unto the family. And when you have that heart of a servant, only God can do the rewarding that's meaningful. God can reach into your life and give you things that you never thought you would find of value. You never thought a bride would think, oh, well, I just can't wait for that man driving off the desert, riding on some stinky camel to come draw me away. Well, they all think, I'm, I've never been one, young lady, but I just imagine they all say, well, I want some knight in shining armor on this white stallion to come prancing in. But she had ten camels come loping in. And she had to give them water to drink. No doubt they were slobbering. They had been on a long journey. But that was her promise. 
and she didn't even know it, had no idea. So Laban and his family received gifts, and, and chapter 24 and verse 53, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. When I read this scripture, it really stood out to me, Bishop, because I was like, wow, when I first read this, I couldn't remember the outcome. I thought he was sending, just as you hear of the other patriarchs sending, well, I'm going to send you this many servants and this many camels and this many goats and this many pigeons and, and give those to somebody. That's the reason why Abraham was actually dwelling where he was. He had a king do the very same thing. Abimelech, I think it was, give him a bunch of uh, possessions from his kingdom and say, here, take it, go, be blessed. And so when I read that, I was expecting the same thing. But here's what I find interesting is he gave it to Rebekah. He gave her the camels. And it was to bring her and her servants and all of her things back home. But they came loaded down with promise. They came walking into her camp with promise. And the servant received sustenance for his return trip. From Abraham, to Abraham and to Isaac. When I read that passage of Scripture, I, I found it interesting that they had been having a meal ready. And I'm the type of person that when I eat a meal, I want it piping hot. I don't want cold food. If I'm ordering a nice plate of food, I want it to be steaming hot. For me, in some sense, I do some cooking. It can be, food can be what you may say, a love language. I've heard other people express it the same way. And when someone serves me cold food, it shows me they didn't care. But you see, the servant, before they had even eaten, he says, let the food sit. I have something to take care of. I'm the servant of Abraham, and this is exactly why I'm here. And he gets to the very last of it. After he has secured Rebekah coming home, now we can eat. And the very next day, they get up, and you find the family, you find her mother, you find her brother, Laban, and they say, oh no, she needs to stay here about 10 days. You know, let's make this a smooth, graceful transition, and he's like, oh no, I'm going somewhere. I have to go back to Abraham and Isaac. And they said, well, let's just ask the damsel. So they brought her in, and she says... I will go. And they loaded up, and she grabbed her nurse, and they all left, and they departed from a place that just the day before, she was a servant taking care of things, going to get water, but yet she was willing to serve, and promise walked into her life and forever changed her destination. She thought she would just live and die in this place where her kinfolk were. And the next thing you know, She's riding across the desert, and she sees a man on the plains, and she says, who is that? And she hops off after the servant says, that's Isaac. In my imagination, I can only think this is not scriptural. I would think that on that journey they're riding across, she may say, tell me about Isaac. Who is this man? And the words that she must have heard had been so impactful that the moment she seen him on the horizon, and what's key is, he was out on the plains, not playing golf, not playing horseshoes, he was praying. And the promise came to him. He was where he was supposed to be, and the promise came to him. Rebecca came with the heart of a servant. And she was gifted so many things that were precious. But the most beautiful thing is, she walked in and aligned to fulfilling the promise. That's the beautiful part of this story. What I find interesting is, at the close of their going their separate ways, you'll find that the family, in their dismissal and her departure in verse 60, says, and they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gates of those which hate them. 
It's interesting. It tells me, it tells me, this could have been some generic departure. But knowing the story from Abraham to Isaac, I feel like the servant probably shared the promise to those people. It doesn't say it clearly, but it sounds very similar to Genesis 17 and verse 16. And I will bless her, and I will give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. You see, when you have the vision, when you have the promise, when you understand your destination, the promise just oozes out of you. People pick it up just by being around you. The servant didn't deviate from the plan from Abraham. Rebecca was brought back to meet Isaac, and they were married. It's a beautiful love story. But it's all because there was willingness to serve, and there was a servant that was willing to do what his master asked him to do, serve faithfully. And the promise was able to come to pass. Her destination was changed just in the matter of a single day. And it was changed just based upon her willingness to say, let me water the camels also. I was going to look at some pieces in Noah's time. And I won't take the time to dig into it. Noah was going somewhere. He had no idea. He was just told to build an ark. He built an ark. He was given the dimensions and all that happened. And what I find interesting is God had every opportunity to destroy the world and start over again and have a second Adam and breathe life into him. But he preserved life, Noah and his children, and his wife and his children. And I began to think about that. I was like, well, the first time God did this, he made a rule and it was broken. The second time God did this, he says, I'm making a covenant and I will not break it. When God sets your path in order and gives you a destination, I promise you, heaven can be your home tonight. You, you, don't, you can live your life how you choose to, but God wants to call you to a place where your calling and election is so sure. There are no doubts in your mind. You see, it is impossible for God to lie. When he says, I made a covenant with man and with beast, it is impossible for God to lie. The directions that God gave unto Noah was interesting because he gave him the exact dimensions, but he did not tell him where he was going to go in this boat. He said, just get in, shut, and I'll shut the door, and you take care of them. Here's three floors. Take food. Take all the animals, and I will take care of you. And they arrived at their destination. But God has given us something that Noah didn't have. This is where we all want to go. It's heaven. The New Testament, and I won't take the time, I don't want to spend too much more time, but the New Testament talks about in Scripture where Jesus tells His disciples and tells them, I go to prepare a place. And He's saying, I've got to leave and I've got to go. In the prior uh, chapter, uh, in John chapter 13, I believe it is, he's, it's very interesting. That's the Passover, and during that time, He had just washed their feet and Judas had just been told in private that he was going to betray him and say, whatever you're going to do, go do quickly. And right after that, Jesus comes right on the heels of Judas walking out the door. Jesus turns and says, I've got a new commandment. That you love your brother. They had no idea why he was saying that. And then he turns on his heels again and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Now, they may have thought that was focused directly at him. We have a brother that's going to deny us three times, deny Jesus Christ three times. And, but God had a plan for Peter. Now, Peter could have just given up and said, well, I'm just a failure. I've done everything I could, and I don't know what life holds for me, but I've denied Jesus, and I'm just moving on, and I'm just not cut out for this. But no doubt, in my imagination, Bishop, I think about when those disciples, after Judas had betrayed Jesus. They went back and reflect and say, now what was Jesus saying that night? Now this is all coming together. He told Judas to go do. We thought he was going to go buy food or provision. And then next thing you know, Judas runs out and he tells us, love your brother. He then turns to Peter and tells him, you're going to deny him. 
And he tells letting us know we have to love our brother. God has a plan for each and every one of us. We don't know the end from the beginning, just like Rebecca didn't know. But we are made to serve this world and to give this precious gospel to them. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And everything we're doing right now doesn't make sense. And you don't know why you're praying this way or going to work this way or talking to this person. But there is a purpose in your life. It's all in the destination that God is pulling you to. You have to be willing to serve on this way of truth. The last part of the message that God has laid on my heart, we talk in our text from the book of Revelation. We read about the dwelling place that God would abide with His children. The benefits that are described, they alone are too beautiful to comprehend. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Many would be happy with just that happening right here in life. But God has called us to a purpose. To overcome and to go through those things that he says he will take away from us. Many people get discouraged with God because this is not fulfilled in their life today. But the Bible doesn't say that the road is going to be so easy and perfect and pure and no speed bumps and nothing's ever going to go wrong in your life. You're going to bury family members. You're going to bury your husband, your children, your wives. That's going to happen. It's life. But there is a place that the church is going to, where it will never, ever happen again. That's where I want to go. In Revelations 21, Revelation 21, 5 through 7, and he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. That alone is enough to convince me God has everything under control. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. That is a beautiful, beautiful promise. That's what I want to be a part of. But it doesn't stop there. The story gets so much more beautiful. In Revelation 21, verses 9, and it says, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, and saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city. The holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God and having the glory of God. Her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and had twelve gates. And at the twelve gates, twelve angels, the names written thereof, which are the names of the tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three, three east, three gates. On the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had foundation, 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And reading down to verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, and as it was transparent glass. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the, for the glory of God did enlighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. That's the ticket for tonight. You, by following the Scriptures, as has been uh, described to us, the plan of salvation is how you get to walk on these streets of gold. But it's not just, oh, I want to see the, the richness and I want to see the vastness of 
what God has prepared for us, but it's the ability for us to worship Him without end. To be able to magnify the one who created everything, and I think that's the beauty of reading your Bible through, Bishop, is because you come back to Genesis, the beginning, and you get to see how significant God really is and how insignificant we really are. When He speaks things into existence, when He goes down and talks with the man walking here on earth, when he goes and rescues, sends an angel down to rescue someone from a desert that's been sent out to die, we realize just how insignificant our life really is. But we have access to that Father. That's the beauty of His Word. And as I begin to go through the Scriptures and reading through the Bible plan, I get to Revelation. And as you said, Bishop, there's so much that I just don't understand. But when the writer begins to describe heaven, tears just come to my eyes. And I say, now this is what it's all about. This is great, but this is just a waypoint to get us to what John described. We may think this is great, this is beautiful, and and the things of this world may bring pleasure for just a few seasons. It may seem like it's okay. And, wow, I'm pretty happy. And, God, don't come back. I have not enjoyed life to the extent that I want to. No. I say, God, come back. Even so, come quickly. I cannot wait to see my heavenly Savior and be able to worship Him and magnify Him for all of time. What I found beautiful was, it says in verse 25, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night thereof. Have you ever had a night so long that you watched the sun rise so you could get the fear or the terror off of you? Because you knew as soon as light started to come up, it was a new day, and light would fill the room, and it wouldn't seem so dark. You'll never have that again in heaven. You'll never have to fight those night terrors. You'll never have to wake up feeling the feeling that you feel when you can't sleep. And you feel like the devil's just trying to oppress you and beat you down. And you're saying, if I could only make it to the morning. If I could only get it to where the light would shine. But... The Word of God says there will be no more night. It's going to be light forever. And He is the light. In verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. That's what I find interesting. The gates open, but they can't come in. The things that can't come in, A few descriptions of what it is, if I find it real quick. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That's what the book of Revelation says. will not be able to walk through those gates. They will be without. To imagine a life that all of those things are absent. How beautiful that is. When you imagine a life when all the things that God has promised, that said He will take away the pain, the fear, all of those things, the sorrow, crying, everything that just crashes down upon us and we wonder what the future holds, God says, it'll never happen again. But it will not open, will not go through those gates Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. If we could stand this evening, musicians would come in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, and He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. 
In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And the passage of Scripture that every time I read it strikes to my heart, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Freely. Now, we've talked about Rebecca standing at the well serving camels. But we're at the well that will quench every thirst. That will never run dry. That is available for every sin, every life. No matter what the mistakes you have made, the bride us must respond to the call of the husbandman, come. I want to go to where the voice is beckoning me to build me up, to reach down and touch and change my life through truth. Don't try to make me feel good and send me to hell. Don't let me do things that aren't according to His Word so I'll feel good about it, but I know the destination is hell. There is a promise that we are a part of. And God has called us. And it's a matter of us being a servant that's willing to say, I will go. Oh no, ten more days of this world. No, take this whole world. But give me Jesus. Take this whole world and all that it possesses. I must have Jesus. And I'm here to ask you today, and the Word of God is asking today, are you ready? Are you ready to make heaven your home? Not just from the sense of commitment, but do you have something in your heart? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you ready to go to heaven tonight? And if you can't answer that question without hesitation, I invite you to come to this altar this, this evening. Let's find us a place to pray. God is calling His children to a place so He can call us home. We have come to be with Him forever. We have to ensure that our heart is ready to meet Him. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, Find you a place to pray at an altar of forgiveness. God can wash your sins away. He can make you new and fresh. Just as Bishop said this morning, today can be your brand new start. He can reach down into your life and give you a reason to want to live. A reason to want to worship Him. A reason to want to come to church. A reason to want to walk away from this life and say, God... Whatever it is, take me down that path. I'm willing to go. I will go. Hallelujah. Can we lift our voices unto Him?